everyone, and welcome back to the program. So, the battle for Mariupol in Ukraine is well underway. Now, this city has pretty much been reduced to rubble, but the last group of holdouts are standing tall so far at a plant inside of Mariupol that rests right next to the Azov Sea. Now, this is a vast facility, folks. It stretches like 11 kilometers, but more so than that, underneath, it's all connected by tunnels and passageways, and it's like a a city underneath this plant. So the Russian forces and the separatists that are helping them are having a real tough time rooting these guys out. Now, this is the Azov Battalion, which has uh, some leanings towards uh, Nazi beliefs. I mean, there's no denying that. Just take a look at some of the insignias and, you know, the pictures and stuff like that. But these are the guys that are here holding out against the uh, Russian forces right now. And this is a vicious-ass battle. It reminds me of World War II, when we learned about, like, Stalingrad and stuff like that. And now the Russians, they're even using bunker busters trying to get to the forces underneath this plant. There have been some reports of chemical weapons being used by the Russians as well, but that's all unverified. And like we've talked about before, when you're in the middle of the fog of war and both sides are going hot and heavy like we're seeing here, there's going to be propaganda. People are going to make claims of chemical weapon use. We saw the same thing in Syria. And it's a very useful tool when you're trying to swing the narrative. But so far, and as far as I can tell anyway, there has not been um, chemical weapons per se that have been used. Now, does that mean they haven't been used? No, I'm just saying there's nothing that I have seen that confirms that. But what I will tell you is the Russians are, they're coming in hard here, folks. They're dropping all sorts of munition on these dudes. And... From just a historical viewpoint, we're witnessing uh, the modern-day Stalingrad. And as somebody who is, you know, into history, somebody who follows this sort of thing, it's terrifying to see in real life. You see all of these blown-out buildings and basically the whole entire city turned to rubble. And then you think that this is... Modern-day Europe, right? Mariupol it was a, a thriving city, a huge industrial city. All of these uh, factories and, and places of industry here are all owned by the richest man in Ukraine. So this wasn't like some little podunk factory. This is a huge, gigantic, you know, sprawling complex. And the destruction here is insane. It's like a video game almost. When you look at it, it's hard to believe that it's real life. So, with this being hot and heavy today in the news, I figured we'd talk about it. Not from a, uh, you know, who's right and wrong perspective so much, but just from a general destruction and uh, uh, what's going on perspective. Because, man, these these people, the, the people who are holding out, I, I don't see how any of them are going to come out of this alive. The Russians have encircled the city at this point. They have the sea 
at their back, which the Russians own still, even though uh, the flagship was sunk, they still have superior, uh, a superior force. So these folks are stuck in these tunnels, in this subterranean complex, with no way to get out. How long does the food last? How long does the, you know, the, the, the ammunition last? If the government can't get in and resupply these guys, I mean, we're going to see a, ma- a mass casualty situation. And to, to top that off, there, there's reports that actual civilians are down there as well. Now, I know that the forces here at Azov have called for a humanitarian corridor to be opened, and the Russians have seemed to be responsive to that and receptive to that. And there was, according to reports, a small window that was opened. But, uh, again, there were allegations that people were were killed by the Russians, the Ukrainians made claims, the Russians made claims, and the rest of the world is left trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Because, look, there's a lot of gray area in general, but when we start talking about war situations like this, and you talk about war crimes... I, you know, I, I have to be honest, both sides are committing them. I've seen plenty of Russian troops marched and paraded in front of cameras, and that goes against the Geneva Convention. And on the flip side, I've seen the same thing from the Russian forces, what they're doing to uh, the, the two dudes that were captured from uh, England, Pinner and uh, the other cat, the younger dude, putting them on camera like that and, and forcing them to give statements. That shit is against the the rules of war as well. So for me anyway, I I just take these claims with a grain of salt. And I I, I like to wait to to have more information, right? A a more, um, you know, comprehensive look at what occurred. But with that said, let's get into this article real quick. And let's talk about Mariupol. And let's talk a little bit more about the steelworks where these forces are holed up. This is an article from ABC Australia, and um, it doesn't seem to have a um, an author to the article here, so I'm guessing it's the staff. If they add a author at the end here, we'll talk about that then. But anyway, headline, the last remaining Ukrainian soldiers in Mariupol are holding out in the Azovstal steelworks. Here's what we know. The last remnants of the Ukrainian forces defending the southeastern port city of Mariupol are reportedly holding out in underground shelters beneath the vast Azovstal steel plant along with a thousand civilians. Jeez, that's a lot of civilians down there, folks. And there has been, you know, um, allegations thrown around by uh, the Russian side that these people are being held against their will. I haven't really seen anything to confirm that. But again, when we're talking about the fog of war, I am very hesitant to, you know, declare one thing or another without an abundance of evidence. Because when you put a sword in a man's hand, it doesn't matter how mild that man is. That man can turn into an animal. And that goes for all participants in war. Mostly the the civilians are women with children and old people, the city council wrote on the Telegram messaging app on Monday local time. Mariupol has been under siege since March 2nd, and Russian forces have managed to take almost complete control. The city would be a huge strategic strategic prize linking territory held by pro-Russian separatists in the east 
with the Crimea region that Moscow annexed in 2014. It would give them that land bridge. And if they had that land bridge to open up from Russia and Crimea right in to, you know, Ukraine proper, it would help them out tremendously logistically. And we've seen the nightmare that Russia has had from a logistics perspective. We saw the bogged down convoy on the way into Kiev. We saw how they've even abandoned the encirclement of Kiev. And we've seen how Russian troops have been forced to loot stores and shit because they didn't have the proper amount of supplies. But if they open up this land bridge, that changes things a bit. However, the remaining Ukrainian forces have so far remained difficult to root out from the steelworks, which have been likened to a fortress. It certainly is. When you look at pictures of this place, I'm telling you, it's like something from a video game or right out of your textbook when you were learning about the siege of Stalingrad and how, you know, it was house to house fighting. People were hiding in bunkers, hiding in burned down shells of houses, all of that crazy stuff. Like in saving, for instance, saving Private Ryan to give you more of a, a, a visual example. I can't even imagine what it must be like. And never, not just for the defenders. Imagine being one of these young Russian soldiers come around the corner, booby trap, bang, done. So this has to be a nerve wracking situation for everybody involved. And I'm looking at pictures right now. And before this episode, I was looking at them as I was preparing to uh, record. And uh, man, I really uh, encourage you to check the pictures out of what this steel mill looks like and this whole entire complex. What was the steelworks like before the invasion? The, the Azovstal Iron and Steelworks, which was established by the USSR in the 1930s and rebuilt after the Nazi occupation during World War II, is one of Europe's biggest plants. Like the city's Illich Steel and Ironworks, Azovstal is held by Metinvest, a group controlled by billionaire Renat Akhmatov, Ukraine's richest man, so we were talking about him a earlier when we first started the, the program. And this whole entire property is owned by him. So if you're thinking about like, you know, a little factory rinky dink, no way. This is a huge complex that you would find in any first world country. It is an immense complex of different smelting places and, you know, a plant, the buildings, the whole works. In peacetime, it pumped out 4 million tons of crude steel a year, 3.5 million tons of hot metal, and 1.2 million tons of finished rolled steel. So, again, it was pumping out a vast quantity of all of these resources. In the east of the city, devastated by weeks of shelling, the plant lies in an industrial area that looks out to the Sea of Azov and covers more than 11 square kilometers, containing buildings, blast furnaces, and rail tracks, all connected by a vast network of subterranean tunnels. Now, I was doing some reading, obviously, about this, this plant, and before it was rebuilt, the Soviets, the USSR, built a bunch of bomb shelters underneath this, this facility, all of these factories and stuff like that, and they're all connected by this subterranean network of tunnels. So, according to people who are in the know, they say that this area could withstand a nuclear blast even. That goes to show you what sort of complex we're talking about here. 
Why have Ukrainian forces taken refuge in, a, in the steelworks? Jan Gagin, an advisor to Russian-backed separatist forces in Donetsk, Donetsk, told Russian television the siege of Mariupol was taking so long because the, the Azovstal plant was like a city under a city. He said the tunnels could withstand bombings and even a nuclear strike. So this gentleman's talking about that too. How a nuclear bomb, a nuclear strike, wouldn't destroy this subterranean complex. Now remember, when it was built by the Soviets, it was built with that purpose in mind to withstand nuclear bombs and nuclear blasts. But for the Russians now, this has to be a real, real pain to try and root these guys out as they're dug in and they've seen what happens to their comrades when they give up. So I doubt these dudes are going to give up anytime soon and it's going to be until the last man. So for the Russians, they're using bunker busters now and we're talking about big serious munitions. We, we saw the United States use them, obviously, during um, Iraq. They've we've used them in Afghanistan. Hell, uh, the United States dropped a Moab in Afghanistan, the mother of all bombs. I think it's like a 10,000 pound bomb or some crazy shit like that. But anyway, you know, these bunker busters are used to pierce into the ground and then explode subterranean into in the subterranean area. But if it's too deep or, you know, it's built in a different manner, perhaps, than some of these other bunkers that we saw in Iraq, perhaps they'll be able to withstand this. And also, we have to remember that the Russian munition, they're not using the same munitions that America uses, right? Uh, the, 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 the bombs that America uses strategically are much more proficient, and the payload and their capability is much larger than what the Russians use. The Russians will, though, however, indiscriminately bomb the shit out of this place and not care one single bit about it. We've, we've already seen that with their strategic bombers that they unleashed after they had their flagship sunk. And we'll see more of that for sure. Ola Zadnov, a military analyst based in Kiev, said the Azovstal factory is an enormous space with so many buildings that the Russians simply can't find Ukrainian forces. That's why Russians started talking about trying a chemical attack. That's the only way to smoke them out. And again, I have not seen evidence of this yet. Maybe it'll happen. Who knows? I, I don't put anything past the, the Russian forces on the ground. These guys are brutal. And they're taking the Mongolian approach at this point. And like, like Genghis Khan, they're hoping that after the destruction of Mariupol, that it's so scary for people, that people are so terrified about what they see, that they'll just give up and they won't fight back. And that's what Genghis Khan did and the Mongolians did. They would raise cities, kill every single person in hopes that the other, the, the other cities and the other castles that they'd come up upon would realize that there's no reason or no hope to fight. And if they do, well, they see the results. And the Russians have the same exact... Ukraine has said it's checking unverified information that Russia may have already used chemical weapons in Mariupol. Russian-backed separatists have denied using them. These are huge territories with workshops that can't be destroyed from the air, which is why the Russians are using heavy bombs, said Sergei Zigaretz, a military analyst, for sure. You know, when you're dropping like uh, or shooting cruise missiles or something like that, that's all fine and well if you're trying to blow up a building. 
But when you're talking about subterranean complexes, you need special munitions for that. What Ukrainian forces remain holed up in the steelworks? The lack of mobile reception and internet in Mariupol means information is scant, and Ukraine has kept tight control of details like troop numbers that could compromise its defense. Mayor Vadim Boychenko said last week several Ukrainian units were still fighting in the city, including the 36th Marine Brigade, Interior Ministry troops, Border Guards, and the Azov Regiment, originally a militia created by far-right nationalists, which was later incorporated into Ukraine's National Guard. Well, don't play, don't play coy with the words, right? There are a lot of guys that are part of that battalion that have Nazi sympathies. To hell with far right, actual Nazi sympathies. That said, that doesn't mean all of the Ukrainian forces are Nazis, like the Russians are saying. And again, folks, this is what I mean about nuance and gray area. Propaganda, misinformation, it all comes hot and heavy during wartime. But there's no doubt that there are elements within Ukraine and within the Ukrainian forces, especially here in Azov and in this facility, that, that do lean to uh, Nazi um, ties or Nazi thoughts. I mean, look, th- they tell you straight up. But again, that doesn't mean the whole Ukrainian military is that, right? There's a, a portion of it that used to be uh, a territorial defense, sucked them into the military, and, you know, look, there's no denying what these guys are. But... Is that justification because a small percentage of these dudes are Nazis or have Nazi sympathies for Putin to come in and destroy a whole country like this? Eh, I don't think so. The Azov Regiment's destruction is among Moscow's war objectives, and the unit is prominently associated with Azovstal. One of its founders, Andrei Beletsky, has called the industrial complex the Fortress of the Azov. Mr. Beletsky told Ukraine's NV News site on March 20th that Ukraine had a total of 3,000 fighters defending the city against up to 14,000 Russians. Well, they have the, the, the proper ground to do it, though, right? The invaders, the Russians, they're going to have a tough time of it because these guys are in bed. And when they're embedded down there into these complexes and subterranean tunnels, it poses a lot of issues for people trying to root them out. According to, the U- to Ukraine, there are also members of the 36th Marine Brigade bunkering, bunkering down with the Azov soldiers. That, that definitely seems to be correct as well, because the younger kid, I forget his name, Aiden something or, something or other, who was captured by um, the Russian forces, was allegedly part of the Ukrainian uh, m- m- uh, Marine Brigade. So that lines up with them being there and, you know, still there fighting. The Marines were maintaining defensive positions at Mariupol's Azovmash and Zavod Lichia factories until they ran out of supplies and ammunition made a des- and ammunition and made a desperate attempt to break through the Russian blockade last week. In a post on the brigade's Facebook page, one of its officers described how for more than a month the Marines have been fighting without replenishing ammunition, food, and water supplies. The wounded accounted for nearly a half of the brigade's strength, but those who still had their limbs and were capable of walking reported back to duty, it said. 
The Russian military said last week that 1,160 Marines had surrendered, a claim that could not be independently verified. Well, both of those English dudes that were captured were with the, the Ukrainian Marines, according to their own statements. So it all lines up, right? As far as not being verified, okay, great. But it definitely lines up with fact. Mr. Boychenko said some were captured by the Russians, but others managed to join the Azov regiment. He didn't give any numbers. How long can the Ukrainian forces hold out there? Russia issued an ultimatum for Ukrainian forces in Mariupol to lay down their arms from 6 a.m. Moscow time on Sunday to save their lives. However, the ultimatum was ignored. Moscow had another one that they uh, laid out to these guys earlier today, and as of 46 minutes ago, that timeline wasn't met either. So it's going to be to the last man, like we said earlier, and it's going to be so brutal, the battles that go on here, especially considering that the Azov Brigade, with their Nazi leanings, is what Putin is basing the whole entire thing basically on. So you know he's going to be brutal. You know he's going to be violent. And if he captures these guys, oh boy, I feel bad for them. Denis Prokopenko, a lieutenant colonel of the Azov Regiment, said in a Telegram video post that while he was at the steel plant, Russian and separatist forces were dropping anti-bunker bombs and blasting the area with rockets and other weapons, including from ships, knowing that there are civilians here. Look, this whole entire city is bombed out, destroyed. I, anywhere you go as a civilian, you're going to be in big trouble. And the civilians that are caught there right now while this battle is raging, man, I feel really bad for these people. Old, old people, women, children, you can't let them out both sides. Both sides need to stop the shit for uh, 10 hours or so and let these people leave. If you guys want to fight to the death, then great. But why do the most vulnerable have to suffer while you guys play your Game of Thrones? Ukraine on, on Monday called for Russia to open a humanitarian corridor for evacuees from the city and steel plant. We demand an urgent humanitarian corridor from the territory and the Azovstal plant for women, children, and other civilians, Deputy Prime Minister Irina Versichuk said. An EU security source told Reuters it was too difficult to say how long the Ukrainians could hold on and also difficult for Russia to occupy the whole city because of the industrial complexes. It'll be almost impossible for them to occupy this whole complex. They're going to have to root these dudes out. And it's not going to be easy. They're going to need more than 14,000 troops. Mariupol is very important to Putin because after a victory there and the surrender of the Azov troops, he can claim that the denazification process is successful, the source added. That's true, too. Look, remember, this is what Putin said. He said that these Nazis, these guys with Nazi sympathies, is the whole reason why he came rolling into Ukraine. You and I know that's a joke and it's just used as a vehicle, but for him it's a big victory, right? When you're looking at this as a political scientist or someone who studies geopolitics, it's certainly a shrewd move for Putin and it's why there's such a impetus on him taking this piece of land. Mr. Zadanov, the military analyst, said he saw little chance of Ukrainian forces from the outside breaking through Russia's siege. 
How many supplies the defenders have and how long they can hold on is anyone's guess, he said. But they have no other way out. They're surrounded on all sides. They have to stand till the end. If they give in, they will not be spared. Yo, I can't even imagine what it's like right now in that city for the Russian soldiers or especially these people that are underneath this this plant. And I don't mean the soldiers. I'm talking about the civilians. You know, here's the thing. The soldiers, they made their choice, right? Look, I decide that I'm going to fight for my homeland, for my city, and that's the end of it. I'm willing to die to do that. But these old people, the children, the women, they didn't choose to do that. So both sides need to step up to the plate and let these civilians get out of Dodge. Because if they do not, we're going to be looking at a mass casualty situation on our hands. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that at bobbycapucci at protonmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-C-A-P-U-C-C-I at protonmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at B-O-B-B-Y underscore C-A-P-U-C-C-I. The link that we discussed can be found in the description box.